Welcome to Sunday Sermons at Journey. Join us every week as we bring you inspiring messages from our community of believers. We believe in the need to gather together to worship, learn, and grow in our faith as a family, and we're excited to share that experience with you. Whether you're a longtime member of our community or a first-time listener, we hope these messages will encourage and challenge you on your own spiritual journey. So grab a cup of coffee and settle in for some thoughtful reflection and inspiring insights. Let's get started. Sometimes we need to hear something more than once in order to hear it. Sometimes we need to see something more than once in order to actually see it. Sometimes we need to say something more than once before we really mean it. That's just the way it is sometimes. Usually for most of us, it means that we find ourselves doing things again and again and again. And then guess what? We still need to do it what? Again, at least one more time. In fact, following Jesus is a life experience of just doing it again. Always we begin again. I was reminded of this a few weeks ago. I was on Lake Tanicoma, which is on the downside of the dam near Branson, Missouri, from the lake there. I got onto a float boat with a buddy of mine and a guide, fishing guide, to do some fly fishing. I know a little bit about fly fishing, not much. And the guide said, what are you guys looking for? And I said, well, I've, I've fished for years, but I w- I've never done this, really. And so I, I'm up for learning anything you think I need to learn. And my buddy who was with me, he'd never held a fly rod in his hand in his life. So this is going to be a first-time experience. And Darren, our guide, said, sure, I'll teach you. Boy, I got an earful for the next several hours. Why did you do that? I told you not to do that. What? You did it again. What? What? You did it again. (laughs) It was several hours of having to learn because I knew what I was supposed to do, but I couldn't quite bring myself to do it because sometimes we need to hear something more than once before we can really hear it. Sometimes we need to see something once before we can really see it, and sometimes we might even say something once, but we need to say it again before we really find ourselves saying it right. Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to do things over and over? But we do, because always we begin again, because once is usually not enough. We need to hear and say and do things over and over and over. And I doubt that I have to convince you about this. In fact, at least half of you don't need to be convinced about this. Is there a woman in the house who's married to a husband that actually listens? (laughs) We have to hear things more than once. And so I'm thankful for a simple word. That begins our text today. We're going to be in Mark chapter 8, and it's the word again. We're wrapping up a series today, I am for you guys, while Landon's been gone on Jesus followers just like me, and today's discovery is that Jesus following. Following Jesus involves one again moment after again moment after again moment. So Mark 8 unpacks a strange story of something happening again and again and again. It's a tale of do-overs. Because we're going to discover that Jesus' disciples need to hear and see things more than once in order for it to take. We're going to discover some argumentative Pharisees that encounter Jesus that need to hear and see something more than once in order for it to take. We're going to find a blind man who Jesus has to touch more than once in order to heal. Thank you, Landon. You handed me a text to preach on that I've never quite understood, and I'm not still sure I fully understand. But we're going to tackle it. And sometimes even Peter we find out, has to hear Jesus loud and clear before he even understands what he has said himself. That's our text today. So how about if you pray with me and let's get ready to dive in. Father God, we have a text in front of us, Mark chapter 8, given to us by the early church as they, through the Holy Spirit's help, remembered Jesus. 
Remember the encounters with Jesus. Help us to hear something today so that we can really hear it. Help us to see so we can really see. Help us to even learn how to say that which must be said so that we can actually mean it. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen? Today I'd like to just walk through the text with you. I'm not going to get real fancy with you. It's, it's a tough text for me to understand, so I'd like to walk through the text with you. And maybe by the end, maybe you'll come to the same conclusions I've come to. I don't know. Maybe you will. So let's just take a look at it. It says, in those days when again, there's our key word, a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat. Jesus called the disciples to him and he said to them, I have compassion on this crowd because they have been with me now for three days and they've had nothing to eat. How long does it go? How long does it take that you're in a desert environment to all of a sudden find yourself you're in some serious trouble if you don't have stuff to eat? About three days. They've been out for three days, they have nothing to eat, and if I send them away hungry to their homes, they're going to faint along the way, and some of them have come from far away. Jesus knew his crowd. And the disciples answered him, how can anyone feed these people with bread here in this desert place? And I want to add at this point, really? Really? Are you kidding me? What? You're, you're, you're followers of Jesus, and you've been with Jesus how long? And if you take Mark chapter 8, if you just flip back two chapters to Mark chapter 6, Jesus has just fed how many people? 5,000. He's got about 4,000 on his hands right now, but he just fed 5,000, and Jesus says, how are we going to handle this? We don't know. <laughs> really? Again? This is happening again. We're just weeks out from Mark chapter 6 and 5,000. I'm tempted to poke fun at these fellas, except <laughs> if, they, if they weren't Jesus followers just like me, I would make fun of them. Because <laughs> how many times have I seen God move? I'm just not sure he can do it again. Are you there? You been there? This is the second time Jesus fed people by miraculous means. It's an again moment, although there's a little bit of difference. In both, they were hungry, and both the crowd had no options. In both situations, Jesus felt compassion on both of them. But maybe one of the interesting things is, is that Mark chapter 6 tells us about feeding 5,000 probably mostly Jewish people. But by the time we get to Mark chapter 8, Jesus is feeding 4,000 probably mostly Gentile people. Did you ever know that? One reading of the Gospels can reveal that Jesus spent up to, with his disciples, up to one-third of his time hanging out in Gentile areas partly to train his disciples so they'd be ready to do their job when the day came to reach the world to fulfill the Great Commission. But Jesus was also doing that to keep things kind of calmed down back home because the more Jesus hung around with people sometimes, the more upset they got. But we have clues that this is a Gentile crowd because it's in a Gentile territory. We also read here that uh, they have baskets. We're going to find out there's baskets full of food, but it's a different word than is used in Mark chapter 6 with the Jewish crowd. This is a Gentile word for baskets doesn't just refer to small little baskets. These are baskets a person could get into. Remember Paul, it says in the book of Acts, was let down over the wall of a city in a basket. That's the word we have here. So when they go to collecting food, they're not just collecting little basketfuls of food. What are they collecting? Man-sized baskets full of food are left over when we get done with this story. But it also says that there were 12 baskets left with the Jewish crowd. 12 for the 12 tribes. Twelve for the twelve sons of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Twelve for the twelve disciples. But when you get to chapter 8 here, in this Gentile crowd, there's seven. Because seven seems to be a key word for people back then. It spoke of completion. It spoke of fulfillment. It spoke of we've got all we need when we have seven. And Jesus may be saying, until we reach the Gentiles, people like you and me, 
we've not yet reached the full amount, the full people. Also, it's kind of a sad note, but when you get down to verse, um, verse 4, they, they asked Jesus, how can we feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? That's sort of, a, in a Greek language, that's sort of a clue that they're kind of speaking as the Gentiles of these people, those kind of people, those sorts. The point here is, is that Jesus has compassion on the crowd. He's already fed a crowd of 5,000. Now he's going to feed a crowd of 4,000, and he's full of compassion because his divine disposition is full of love and his divine attention is full of details. He knows these people are in a bad state, but in spite of all that has happened and in spite of what the disciples have seen, they ask what? They ask how? So Jesus basically asked them, how? How can you not have learned this already? Verse 5. He asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven, or enough. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took seven loaves, sufficient loaves, enough loaves, and he gave thanks, and he broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the people, and he set them before the crowd. And they also had a few small fish, so having blessed them, he said to these also that they should be set before them, and they ate, and they were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces that were left over, Seven, full, enough, big baskets, man-sized baskets full of food were left over, and there were like 4,000 people there that day. And Jesus then sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Now, we could stop sometimes and just pick one passage and say, let's stop there and dive in. But this is a big chapter that Landon assigned me, so we're going to keep reading because they're tied together by the word again. So Jesus has just done this. He then cuts out of town. Jesus' approach to ministry was touch and go, you could say. He'd touch people, then cut out. He'd touch somebody else and then leave. Why? Because he knew he had to die on a certain day, in a certain way, at a certain place, for a certain reason, exactly according to Scripture. And if he wasn't careful, he could find himself dying in the wrong place at the wrong time because people weren't all that happy with him. Look at the next verse, verse 11. Pharisees came and they began to argue with Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Had they heard that he'd been off in a Gentile territory, hanging out with the non-Jews, feeding a crowd of Gentiles when he's supposed to feed who? Us. Well, I'm not sure. They don't seem to be real happy with him. I can just see them catching up with Jesus. We've uh, heard a report of what you did up north amongst the Gentiles, and we'd just like to let you know that your uh, application for full acceptance by us has been rejected. You're going to have to start over. Let's start now. We need another sign. They'd seen Mark chapter 6 too. They knew about the 5,000. Now they're hearing about 4,000, but the 4,000 was done to the wrong people. He did it again, but he didn't do it again in the right way. And it says Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. Jesus groaned inside. Jesus had a part of him in the inside just sort of just want to melt and fall apart. Why? Because people, even when they see something, can't necessarily see it. People, even when they hear something, can't necessarily hear it. And even when people say all the right things, that doesn't mean that they're really meaning all the right things. Are we tracking together here? Do you see what's going on in our text? And Jesus said, why does this generation or this group of people, why does this, this lot, what is it that they're looking for for a sign? Truly I say to you, no other sign. No sign will be given to this generation. And he left them. He got into the boat. Went to the other side. That's frightening right there. I could have done a whole sermon just on that verse right there. Isn't it frightening to think that God's willing to get into a boat and leave you where you are and go on without you? But he's gentleman-like. God's gentle with us. God's inviting us. He's invited me. He's inviting you. But he's not going to force you, and he doesn't force me. 
He doesn't overpower us even though he could. He's instead inviting us. Thank God he invites us again and again. And some of us again and again and again and again and again. And these people weren't listening, so he had to move on. Now the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. Now what did they just left standing? Seven baskets, man-sized baskets full of food, but none of them are in charge and none of them do details. They're not paying attention. I can see this. <laughs> I can see it happening. They forget to bring food. They got into the boat with one loaf between them, 12 of them plus Jesus, 13 men, maybe others, one loaf. And Jesus cautioned them and said, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Leaven. You know what leaven is. You add it to dough and it swells up and it, it starts to grow and it kind of builds and it adds flavor. Um, Jesus said, watch out for that little bit of influence of the Pharisees and that little tiny influence of the political leader Herod. And the disciples at that point began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. Really? I'm back to my really? You, are you worried about food again? We've seen Jesus feed 5,000. We've seen Jesus feed 4,000. You think he can handle 12? <laughs> again, we have issues. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? They're asking how. Jesus is now asking how. They're asking, can we be fed? Jesus now asks, do you not yet perceive? Can you not see? Do you not yet understand? Can you not comprehend? Are your hearts hard? Yeah, that's really the issue. Each of us has a heart that sometimes is hard to what God is doing. Having eyes, do you see? Having ears, do you not hear? He's quoting Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 5, even Old Testament God followers were just like us, needing God to help us do it again and again and again. And Jesus finally asked them, do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets were there? He's, this is test time, oral exam. Hey, when we had the crowd of Jewish people together, and there were 5,000, and you got done, and we started to pick up, how many baskets were there? And they said 12. They knew the answer. And the seven for the 4,000, we broke seven loaves. How many baskets were left when we took them up? And they said, seven, enough, sufficient, fully enough. And then he looks at him and says, do you just not understand? Now, it's important we envision Jesus correctly here at this point. Close your eyes if you want to. But when you hear Jesus looking at the disciples and saying, do you just not understand? What's the tone and what's the look on his face? It's vital we understand how Jesus, I think, was approaching them. Was Jesus angry with his disciples? Was he impatient? Is this a look on his face that says, I'm frustrated and put out with you. I've had just about enough of you. Is that how the Jesus looks to you? Is Jesus done with them or is he still sighing deeply inside his soul and groaning and saying, it's not supposed to be like this. You're supposed to be able to hear me. I, I've shown you. You've heard. You've understood. But you've not seen. You've not really heard. You've not really understood. It says they came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the city. Took him out of the village. Took him off to be private. And then he spit on his eyes. I heard that somebody during COVID tried pulling this off in a church. Not a good move. Not a good move. You're not Jesus. Don't have to do it the way he did it. I think what he was trying to do was he was trying to treat this man with respect. He's blind. Takes him off to the side, not to make a show out of him, not to make a dis an display out of him. 
And then he wants to send a message that I care about what your real problem is. And so he wets his eyes. And then he laid his hands on him, which would not have been done by most Jewish authorities because with someone sick, they're under the curse of God as far as the Jewish people thought. And so you don't touch, you don't approach, you don't spend time with. But Jesus not only spent time with, took him off and then touched his eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, well, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Which leaves me in the really awkward spot of having to explain this because this is the only time we read about Jesus not being able to just perform a miracle like that. Thank you, Landon. <laughs> but I think there's a reason why Jesus did this in a two-step approach. Because everything Jesus does with us is a, at least a two-step, if not a ten-step or a hundred-step approach. Because we can see without seeing. We can hear without hearing. We can even say something out loud without really saying it in such a way that we mean it. And I think Jesus knew it was time for the disciples to understand a key word. Again. Sometimes Jesus just has to do it again. So look in verse 25. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. The Greek word there says he saw everything with perfection. 20-20 or better. And he sent him to his home and said, don't even go into the village, just go home. Jesus touched him again. This is an again moment. And I think the theme here, the point here, is that everyone who's a Jesus follower is just like the blind man. See, they are Jesus followers, just like me. We're blind and we're going to need to be touched. How often? At least, again. I don't know where you are on your walk with God, but I'll bet you what, you've got another again moment in your path. Just like I've got more again moments in my path. Thank God I have those. And we're going to discover that Peter needed to be touched at least one more time again himself. Look what happens. Jesus went on with the disciples to the villages of the Caesarea Philippi region. And on the way, he asked the disciples, okay, guys, let's see if you can do better now. Who do people say that I am? He didn't even ask them, who do you say? He's like, okay, what have you been hearing on the road? You guys are, you get your Twitter thing going. What are you hearing? Instagram. Who do people say that I am? And they told him, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others one of the prophets. And he then finally asked them, well, who do you say that I am? This is teaching time. This is moment driving toward conclusion. And Peter finally gets something right. Peter answers him and says, you're the Christ. You're the king. You're the one that's told about. You're the one the scriptures have been telling us would come for centuries. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the Christ. And Jesus strictly immediately told them, don't tell anyone about this. This needs to be done, handled correctly. I need to die on a right way, in a right place, at the right time, for the right reason. It has to work right. Don't mess this up. Be quiet about this. Let's just talk about this together. And we want to look at this story and say, well done, Peter. Finally, Peter's got something right. The answer, you're the Christ. Who am I? You're the Christ. Well done, Peter. But then Peter blows it. Keep reading. And Jesus began to teach them more, that the Son of Man must suffer many things, must be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and he'll be killed, and after three days would rise again. And he said this plainly, he said this clearly, he said this and laid it out in every detail, and Peter then took Jesus to the side and began to rebuke him. But Jesus, turning and seeing the disciples, rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but your mind is on the things of man. Way to go, Peter, and then let's try that again, Peter. 
And then Jesus turned to the crowd and the disciples and Peter, and with all of them listening, said this. And I think he's saying it to us. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And may I add the words, I'm not trying to be cheeky, but maybe let me just humbly suggest we throw the words into the text again and again. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself again and again, and take up his cross again and again, and follow me again and again. For whoever would lose his life, save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life again and again for my sake, and for the gospel's sake, will save it again and again. Do you see where I'm going here? For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose the soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words and my teaching and doesn't want to follow me and let me be the Christ, the King, that man, of him, the Son of Man, will be ashamed when he comes in his glory, the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. What I see happening here in our story is is that Jesus knew that we're going to need to be touched and led and instructed and helped again and again and again. The book of Mark lays out the King Jesus gospel this way. Mark chapter 1, it says, Jesus came preaching the kingdom, the gospel. And then it lays it out as the kingdom of God is in our presence, and you need to repent, I need to repent, I need to believe, and I need to follow. And as we look at the story, and you can run to the next slide for me, we've got four gospel declarations between Mark chapter 1 and Mark chapter 8 that Jesus lays out. The four declarations are, number one, the kingdom of God is in our midst. A relationship with God where God provides leadership and direction. A conversational, interactive, communicative relationship with God is available now. Through who? Jesus. Because Jesus is the Christ. But the Christ has to come and die and then be resurrected. But Jesus says these are the four truths of the gospel, but here's the responses that have to come from people like us, disciples like us. We need to repent or rethink. We need to believe, trust, give allegiance. But then ultimately what it comes down to is we need to follow. But we're going to have to do this again and again. Because the trick is, and go to the next slide, the trick is is that always we begin again and again and again. Walking with Jesus, just like walking with Jesus in Mark chapter 8, involves us seeing things over and over and over. Because sometimes we need to hear something more than once before we actually hear it. Sometimes we got to see it more than once before we actually can see it. And sometimes we even mean to say things more than once, like Peter saying, well, you're the Christ, you're the king, more than once before we really believe it. Because Peter told Jesus, you're the king, but Peter then immediately began to tell Jesus the way things are going to be. Now, am I wrong, or am I perhaps in a room full of people who have said, yes, Jesus, you're, the, you're in charge, but now let me get, tell you how it's going to be. Have we ever done that? Maybe not quite so clearly, but in the way we respond to his commands, it's very easy to find ourselves needing to again and again come back to Jesus and repent and believe and then follow and just simply do what he says. Because when it comes right down to it, He might know more than you do, or I do. Peter found this out. So did the rest of the disciples. So did the crowd. And may I say this morning, so might we. We need to come back to Jesus again 
and again, because always we begin again and again. Now, why is this story here? I think Mark chapter 8 exists because we always need to begin again. We need to repent one more time. We need to believe it one more time. We need to follow him at least one more time. So Darren there on Lake Tanicomo, our fishing guide, he was giving us feedback. Really? You just did it again? <laughs> I told you not to do that. I told, you did it again. <laughs> he was speaking in my ear. He was right behind me. But the good news was he was not harsh. He was not angry. He was not even necessarily frustrated. His voice, as he was chiding me over my shoulder, was full of laughter and fun and humor. He was having a good time with us. Why'd you do that? I told you not to do that. Finally, he looked at us and, and sort of with a smile, he said, you two fellows have used up four full rows of flies. <laughs> at one point, he said, Phil, it's really in that hard. Fly fishing comes down to five things. It's really not hard. Find the right fly, put it in the right location, make it look just natural and present it perfectly. And then when they strike, you've got to catch them on the hook and then you've got to land them in the boat. Other than that, it's real simple. <laughs> And I was having trouble with all five. Following Jesus is similar. It requires that we learn how to do it again, and then again, and then what? Again. That's it for this week's Sunday Sermons at Journey. We hope you found the message inspiring and uplifting. And if you enjoyed listening, please consider subscribing to our podcast to stay updated on our latest episodes and then share it with your friends and family. If you have any thoughts, questions, or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at journey at journeycs.org. We'll be back next week with another message, so be sure to tune in. Until then, have a great week, and let's walk together and make a difference.